Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Older adults are at increased risk for many vaccine-preventable diseases. Public health experts advise the best way to prevent these conditions is to get the appropriate vaccines. Today, my guest is Dr. Yabo Baisalo owner of YB Consultants. She is a technical consultant on immunizations and vaccines and also a former medical officer in the Immunization Services Division at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Baisalo will provide an update on COVID-19 vaccines and discuss risks for more variants and how to live with COVID-19 and related viruses. She'll also discuss racial and ethnic disparities related to getting the vaccine and her work to increase vaccination rates among these groups. And finally, she'll talk about additional vaccines older adults need to avoid health complications and stay healthy as they age. So welcome, Dr. Baisalo, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's such a pleasure to be on your show today. And I thank you for this invitation to just have a discussion about vaccines and the importance of getting vaccination. I also want to welcome you back because you were on an earlier program, but we have a lot to talk about with you today. And I wanted to start by having you give our listeners an overview about the importance of vaccinations. Why is it important to vaccinate individuals and explain how vaccines work so that they protect the individuals that receive them? Thank you for that question. Yes, we can prevent so many diseases through vaccination. Um, We can prevent people getting sick, being hospitalized, or dying from diseases that we have vaccines for. And vaccines do work. Um, Thanks to vaccines, we no longer see illnesses such as tetanus or diphtheria. Some of us who are a little older may remember some of these illnesses, Um, where childhood friends or ourselves may have contracted these diseases because at the time there were no vaccines. But thanks to vaccines, again, we no longer see many of these. We only see small outbreaks in the U.S. when everyone's not vaccinated. For example, we still see outbreaks of whooping cough or pertussis, and more recently, measles and now polio outbreaks this year. And again, primarily in communities where there are lower vaccination rates. And you asked me, um, Cheryl, how vaccines work. Well, they work by protecting our bodies from getting a disease. Most of the diseases are caused by germs like viruses, bacteria. For example, the flu, COVID, shingles, or chickenpox. These are all caused by viruses. The germs that cause whooping cough, tetanus, those are bacteria. All of these we'll discuss later. 
Some people may say, well, why vaccinate? Let me just get the disease and develop natural immunity that way. Where if you were to get those illnesses, yes, you may develop immunity to the germ. However, it may come at a price. You could get very sick, end up in the hospital, or worse, die. What vaccines do is that they allow us to develop that same immunity, but without actually getting the disease. They basically trick your body into thinking it's getting the actual germ. Your healthy immune system does what it does best. Whenever you get vaccinated, it builds up fighting cells, which you call antibodies, to fight off what it thinks is the actual germ. Your body remembers those fighting cells and keeps them as memory cells. So in the future, if you come into contact with the actual germ, those memory cells kind of jump into action, peels off the germ faster, you don't get as sick, or even if you do get sick, it's a milder illness because you have that suit of protection. Well, that's very helpful to give us an overview because everybody needs to be vaccinated. And we certainly have heard a lot about that already in the last few years. But since this is aging matters, help us understand why vaccines are especially important for older adults uh, over age 65. Sure. Um, And you're absolutely right. Vaccines are more important in our older adult population, because as we age, our immune systems are not as robust as when we were younger. As a result, we may not be able to fight off infections as easily. Also, if we get sick, um, we are more likely to end up in a hospital um, because our immune systems are not as robust. Also, um, older adults, we do tend to have more chronic underlying illnesses than younger adults. And really, it's just really a matter of time. The longer you live, these things occur. And certain underlying illnesses, such as chronic heart or kidney disease, also put you more at risk for serious illness if you contract some of these diseases. So some of those are the reasons why, Cheryl. Since our population, some folks can be living in assisted living or more populated settings, is it especially important for those individuals to um, uh, to get vaccinated? Excellent point. Yes, it is. Anyone living in group settings, such as an assisted living facility, or even someone who may live in a multi-generational household where there are children in daycare or school and then older adults at the other end of the spectrum, you're at higher risk because you're now close together. You're at increased risk if one person gets the illness of spreading it to everyone else. Um, because of those close quarters and interacting with people on a daily basis, you're sharing the same bathroom, kitchen space, et cetera, hence more exposure. And I was wondering if you can talk about the safety of vaccines. I think that's the thing that we've heard so much about the COVID, and we want to start talking about that. But is our vaccine safe and and the side effects that people talk about um, can they be so serious that people will avoid vaccines altogether? Uh, what do we need to know? Vaccines are safe, Cheryl. And when we look at benefit risks, right, nothing is 100% safe, not even aspirin or Tylenols, et cetera, especially if you take it um, in the wrong amounts or if you have an underlying illness, things of that nature. But in general, vaccines are safe. Um, now let's turn to your question about side effects. The majority of side effects from vaccine are expected. They're mild. They go away in a few days. You can have what we call local side effects, meaning a sore arm or pain at the injection site. You could have more systemic or body-wide symptoms like fever, headaches, body aches. But why do these happen? These are again expected. Remember, we talked about how vaccines work. 
Well, when our immune system is working and building up those fighting and protective antibodies, they may also cause us to have a fever to burn off what it thinks is the real germ. So these are the side effects that are signs of a working immune system. However, not everyone has these side effects, but that still does not mean your immune system is not working. It's still working quietly. I just wanted to verify then, so the whether one gets a lot of side effects, something really serious that they almost have to go to bed for a few hours or the day, or just the sore arm, as, as you also suggested, does that have any bearing on the strength of the immunity then that people have or the ability to ward off uh, the virus? Does that make any difference? That's a great question. People have this um, question often. Not necessarily. It doesn't mean that because I had more side effects, I have a stronger working immune system. It really doesn't um, have as much as um, a bearing. It just means for you, um, you're showing that you're trying to fight off those germs of antibodies. Someone else may have more of a quiet um, system going on, but they're still fighting off the germs as well. The good news is that we're all uh, better prepared. And to that point, then, let's talk about the COVID-19, since that's been in the news for so long, and especially for older adults who are fully vaccinated. They've had the two vaccinations uh, for COVID-19. When is the best time to receive a booster? And I think at this point, some people, including myself, have had three boosters. So Talk about that whole process of getting vaccinated, getting the booster, why it's important, when the next booster will be coming along. What do we need to know? Sure. And I think, unfortunately, um, as far as public health, we've probably made it seem a little bit more complicated than it should be. The bottom line is for everyone who's either not had a booster or even if you've had a booster, as long as it's been two months since your last COVID shot, you are eligible today for what's called the updated booster. This updated booster, some people call it a bivalent or Omicron booster. Bi just means two. It means it protects you against the two strains of COVID-19 virus, the original strain from 2020 and the newer Omicron variant or strain. The initial boosters you may have had, those were one strain or monovalent, but we also need protection against Omicron. So if you've never had a booster or if you've already had one or two doses of the older booster, as long as it's been two months since that last COVID shot, it's time now to get your bivalent booster. So I hope that helps to kind of clarify. Many of the folks that I know have now had three boosters, and I think I got my last booster, say, a couple of months ago. Will I need to get another booster after two months, or are we kind of at a stopping point right now that we may not need the next booster for some time. Um, I wish I had a crystal ball to look further than, you know, six months down the line. But at this time, as long as you had one dose of this updated bivalent or Omicron booster, you're now considered up to date. There's no recommendation to get another booster at this time. But again, you should have had that two strain or bivalent Omicron booster to be up to date. Okay. Well, then at least for the time being, I'm good to go, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay. So you've explained uh, about boosters and where we need to be at this point. Of course, another aspect that's been in the news is the medication called Paxlovid. Make want to make sure that that's I pronounce right. it. So if an older adult does get COVID, should Paxlovid be prescribed? 
So thank you. Um, there are two main types of medicines that are currently available to treat COVID-19 illness. One are called antivirals. That's like the Paxlovid. And they basically target the specific part of the virus to stop it from making copies because that's how viruses work. They make copies in your body. And then there's something called monoclonal antibodies where you're basically giving your body um, artificial antibodies to help respond more effectively to the virus. So going back to Paxlovid is one of those antiviral medications. And actually in clinical trials, it reduced the risk of hospitalization and death by almost 90% in people who are not vaccinated. But there are some people who are recommended to receive Paxlovid. And these are people who, if they contract COVID-19 virus, they are at higher risk for becoming seriously ill, being hospitalized or dying. That includes people with underlying medical conditions like heart, lung, kidney disease, someone with cancer or someone receiving drugs that make their immune system weaker. So rarely you have to ask your healthcare provider if you're eligible because early access to this medication is key. You do not want to wait until you're hospital bound. You want to start it early if you're eligible within five days of symptoms. And remember, it has to be prescribed by a healthcare provider or a pharmacist at a, what we call a test to treat site. So that in a nutshell um, is, you know, what Paxlovid is and what it does. So are there any contraindications for taking the drug? And also, I guess, as usual, I am interested to know about side effects. That's right. Um, yes, there are several um, serious possible drug interactions with Paxlovid and other medications. Um, and this can lead to some potential um, rare side effects. So it's always important to let your healthcare provider know the person who's prescribing Paxlovid. Let them know anything you're taking, both over-the-counter, herbal medications, prescriptions. That way they can go into the database and see, ah, there's a recognized side effect here. This person should not take Paxlovid. Maybe let's consider something else. From what I'm hearing you also say is, is that there aren't really any contraindications that if a older adult has a particular health condition, that would prevent the person from taking uh, Paxlovid? But it's always best, um, those particular contraindications, unless you've had an allergic reaction to the drug before. Okay. But again, because of the multiple drug interactions, it's important to check with your provider to see if you are a safe candidate for Paxlovid. But there was one thing I also wanted to mention, um, Cheryl, disparities um, in Paxlovid use. A recent report from the CDC was just published at the end of October, and there are some disparities that persist in outpatient treatment for covid they looked at um, adults across the U.S. between April and July of this year, and they found that among adult patients, 30 to 30 percent lower treatment for Paxlovid in Hispanic and Black patients than their white and non-Hispanic peers. And this was regardless of age or immunocompromised state. So that just means we need to increase awareness in communities of color and expansion of programs in these communities to ensure that everyone um, who's eligible for Paxlovid receives it. Good point. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about racial and ethnic disparities uh, in a few moments. I wanted to just ask you one other question, Dr. Baisalo, about another medication called Evusheld. That's Can you right. talk a little bit about that medication? Yes. Yeah, so Evusheld is one of those medications we talk about that are called monoclonal antibodies. And it's authorized for people who are moderately or very severely immunocompromised and is given to them to prevent COVID-19 illness. So this is before hopefully they come in contact with the germ or exposed to it and is recommended to be given every six months. 
So this is for a very small subset of our population, but it's extremely important that someone who falls into one of these categories, meaning, for example, someone who's had a bone marrow transplant or radiation or cancer treatment, severely immunocompromised from medication, et cetera, that they know about this medication and ask for it. And obviously, that's a prescription medication that they would ask, have to ask their healthcare provider. That's correct. Right. Okay. Well, another question that seems to come up a lot is, if an older adult has already had COVID-19, should he or she get the vaccine or a booster? Yes. I there about, hmm, let's see, about three points I want to make about this. Yes, yes, and yes. It does not hurt you to still get your booster after having or your vaccine after having COVID-19 disease. Studies have actually shown that people who have the disease and then get a COVID-19 vaccine later actually have better protection from future COVID disease. Um, so people who already had COVID do not get vaccinated after the recovery. They're more likely to get COVID again than those who were vaccinated after the recovery. And a question that people may also ask is, well, when should you get that next COVID shot after you've been ill with COVID? The short answer is when you're completely well. If you're not sure, ask a healthcare provider, hey, is this a good time? Am I completely over my symptoms? And some experts have said, "Mm, maybe wait 90 days because you probably still have some natural immunity from the actual infection. But truly, we don't know how long that natural immunity lasts. Um, one caveat to that 90-day waiting period, some people at high risk, like someone who's immunocompromised, really should not wait that 90 days. They may need to get their vaccine earlier. I'm wondering then, Dr. Baisalo, if even if a person, and I'm talking about myself here again with two vaccinations and three boosters, it might still be possible that I could get COVID. That is right. The good part is that um, you're less likely to be hospitalized or get very sick from COVID. And that's a great point you brought up, Cheryl. Nothing is 100% effective, not even a great vaccine. Um, and so what happens is that you're trying to put that extra armor of protection on by getting vaccinated. Yes, um, the rain may hit you, but you may not get soaking wet. And that's what we try to do with vaccines, especially with COVID-19 vaccines. In fact, I would also ask an additional question is, might it be a wise thing for older adults to continue wearing a mask when interacting socially, even if they are fully vaccinated and have received all of the recommended boosters? Yes, um, you definitely want to continue wearing masks, especially in crowded indoor settings, or if you're going to be at an event that's not well ventilated, you want to continue to wash your hands often. If someone seems to be ill around you, just move away, um, because it's inevitable that you know, even if you've never had COVID-19, the likelihood of someone getting COVID for the first time or getting COVID again still exists. You know, unfortunately, we have estimated about 97 million people in the U.S. who've had COVID, and that's probably an underestimate. And around the world, over 600 million have had the disease. There are some people who may not have symptoms. We call those asymptomatic infections, but they can still pass it on to others. So this is still real. I heard you say the words inevitable, and I'm wondering, is it true, is it inevitable that most adults will get COVID-19? And if they do, are there certain short or long-term effects that some may uh, experience? There's definitely an increased likelihood because the entire world, 
um, most of the U.S. not vaccinated. The virus continues to try to find someone to inhabit who is basically pure, has not had the, vac- the viruses yet. And during this, the virus mutates or changes itself each time. Viruses get smarter and each variant may be harder for our body to fight off. Now we're having to deal with this Omicron variant. So because of that, our bodies may not, even when you're vaccinated, you may still be susceptible to a variant of COVID. And that's what we're seeing now with people who have these breakthrough infections. Yes, you may not get as ill, but you could still get COVID again. So, so important to continue to mask, stay up to date on vaccines. And you asked me about um, side effects. The disease itself, there's short-term effects. COVID can really affect every organ system. And it can affect your heart. Some people have palpitations with your lungs, difficulty breathing, or shortness of breath. Then we have the long-term effects. You've heard of long COVID. Um, and it's estimated that nearly one in five U.S. adults who reported having COVID have those symptoms of long COVID. And long COVID is when you have symptoms at least three months since your original symptoms with the disease and you continue to have those symptoms, like you may still need oxygen or still having difficulty getting up a flight of stairs, um, brain fog, depression, or anxiety. So truly the best way to prevent this, staying up to date on your COVID vaccine so that you don't get COVID again, um, or less likelihood of it, and continue to wear your mask. You had mentioned a bit earlier, and I wanted to get into this a little bit more about racial and ethnic disparities that that exist for older adults seeking the the COVID-19 vaccine. Talk a little bit about what that is, what that looks like, and and more importantly, what's being done to correct the situation. So racial and ethnic disparities, unfortunately, have existed for years for vaccine uptake for many vaccines, um, particularly flu vaccines, one we've been studying. And this disparity really came more to light with the COVID-19 pandemic. It just really shed a light on this. Um, earlier in the pandemic, we unearthed some of the reasons why certain racial and ethnic communities were initially holding off on vaccine. And this included historical mistrust in healthcare due to past abuses, um, what we call social determinants of health, including poverty, structural racism. All of this has led to access issues. For example, in certain communities, difficulty accessing healthcare, not having a lot of healthcare providers available, or when visiting a healthcare provider or institution, not being as well received or listened to, and also vaccine access um, in more rural areas of the country, not having vaccine as readily available, or there are some areas where there may be 30 miles or more without a pharmacy to provide vaccines. So really, over time, um, during this pandemic, as vaccination campaigns were held across the country, and I would say through a lot of grassroots organizations, nonprofits, um, listening to people in um, communities of different backgrounds and gaining trust through that immense work, we've begun to see that initial disparity in COVID-19 vaccination by race starting to decrease. But really, I'm sure the work is not done. Um, as you realize, we still have to address all those social determinants of health and access issues that, if not addressed, will resurface with the next pandemic or emergency. And would you also say that, I mean, we're still seeing statistics in the news. Are the death rates that are due to COVID-19, are they still 
prevalent among certain racial or ethnic groups? Unfortunately, they are. And CDC puts out a um, table every couple of months. And the most recent um, one shows that the death rate is higher among indigenous American populations. That includes American Indian or Alaskan Native populations, as well as Black or African American and Hispanic populations as compared to their white peers. So and when we're talking about increased rate, we're talking about 1.7 to two times higher death rate and two times to two and a half times higher hospitalization rates in those communities that I mentioned. The life expectancy of Hispanic, Black, and Indigenous American communities especially have significantly decreased since the start of the pandemic as well. So we still have a lot of work to do and a lot of uh, attention that we need to pay to this virus. So we're going to take a we're going to take a short break right now in case uh, folks tuned in late. We wanted to remind them that we're talking with Dr. Yabo Baisalo, who is the owner of YB Consultants. And she is a technical consultant on immunizations and vaccines and in fact was a former medical officer in the Immunization Services Division at CDC. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Yabo Baisalo, who is the owner of YB Consultants, and she's a technical consultant on vaccines and immunizations. And Dr. Baisalo, we pretty much covered everything in terms of COVID-19 in the first half of the interview, but I wanted to just get one final question, and that is, in the future, will there be a vaccine for every COVID-19 a variant? Uh, will that be necessary? Or do you see that maybe one vaccine will protect uh, against all variants? What can we expect? Well, funny you ask that, Cheryl. It's actually being considered. However, you know, it's challenging. A vaccine that would really protect against all variants would have to target the central part of the virus, not just the spike proteins, those outer coatings where we've seen the variants. And think of the flu vaccine. Even till now, unfortunately, we don't have what's called a universal flu vaccine to protect against all variants because every year flu viruses change because of variants of the flu virus as well. So we're not quite there yet, but it's something that's being thought of for the future. Well, then we need to just keep listening to experts like you and remembering that uh, we're not out of the woods yet on that. So That's right. Before we get into other vaccinations, and there are quite a few to cover, I wanted to get your opinion about the RSV uh, virus, which we're hearing is affecting little ones and filling up pediatric wards in hospitals. And I know you are also a pediatrician. So help us understand a little bit about RSV and, and what older adults need to know, especially if they are around little little persons, their grandchildren, and um, how they can, the older adults can 
protect themselves? Might they be affected? Yes, as you mentioned, so RSV is respiratory syncytial virus. For most of us, it's the common cold, like a head cold, but it really affects the younger children, especially those who are born premature, um, and they may end up in the hospital with something called bronchiolitis, um, difficulty breathing, needing oxygen. But we also are starting to see RSV affecting our older adults as well. It can lead to hospitalizations and severe illness. So another reason why it's so important to continue to wear your mask if you're an older adult to protect yourself from not only COVID, but RSV and flu. And actually, there was some information presented to the CDC in October about a potential vaccine to protect older adults from RSV to be considered in the next couple of years. Well, we definitely need to keep that in mind then. And even though we're watching it primarily affecting children, we need to protect ourselves as as well. So That's right. Let's move on to the other vaccines uh, besides COVID. Um, explain to us why it's important that older adults receive these other vaccinations that we're going to talk about. So just to remind you again, remember as we age, as older adults, our immune systems are just not as strong and just a natural process with aging. Also, our immunity from either earlier vaccines that we got when we were younger or from having the disease, that may wane over time. So as a result, we are now more susceptible to diseases that we had great protection against during young adulthood, either from having vaccination when we were kids or from prior infection. So that's why we need our tetanus booster every 10 years. We may also need a vaccine to prevent pneumococcal disease, vaccine to prevent hepatitis, shingles, etc. And so I'm sure, you know, we can spend more time talking about each of those. And that's what we're going to do. But I, before we, we get into each one of them, I wanted to verify from you if there's any older adult populations who should not receive these other vaccines that you're going to talk about. Not any specific population, but it's an individual matter. If someone's allergic to a vaccine, a component of the vaccine, they should not receive that vaccine, but no group recommendations per se. And the first one we really want to talk about, because it is the flu season now, and we're hearing already about increased uh, rates of, of flu uh, in our population. So let's start by just asking you, why are flu shots recommended for older adults? Um, annual flu shots are really important for everyone six months of age and older, in particular for the very young in our population under five and definitely for older adults. Um, we have years of data, unfortunately, that show increased hospitalization and death rates in older adults who contract the flu. And because of some of those reasons we already mentioned, um, when you're younger, um, you're more likely to hopefully fight off the flu better. But as we age, less likely. So it's really recommended that by the end of October, every person six months and older should get their annual flu shot. And that leads to, so you said by the end of October, we should have already had our flu shot. Well, really, it takes about two weeks to become effective. You definitely want to be vaccinated prior to Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. So that's why we use that end of October as kind of a barometer. So you get your vaccine. So now you're ready to receive guests over Thanksgiving and Christmas. But you can continue vaccinating throughout the entire flu season. So if you missed it, it's still not too late. You can still get vaccinated through March. But the earlier, the better. You know, we talked about side effects with COVID vaccine. Are side effects likely even with the flu shot? Yes. So vaccines all work very similarly um, as your immune system is building up. 
You may get the same sore arm, aches, headache, and fever from the flu shot as you would get from a COVID-19 um, shot. And so you can take over-the-counter medicines if your healthcare provider says it's okay, like either ibuprofen or acetaminophen. And I know that for a while they were also recommending that people would get their flu shot and the latest booster at the same time, and that seems to be okay, maybe one in each arm. Do you recommend that also? Definitely do. So um, if it's time for your COVID booster and you're also going in for your flu shot, go ahead and get them both. And as you mentioned, one in um, each arm. Um, so you're not sore on just one arm. And um, it is safe to do so. And we've had so many people who've had both vaccines on the same day, and it is safe. One final question about the flu shots. I was wondering, because the flu virus uh, kind of changes each year, is that why it's necessary that we have to get a flu shot every year, that our immunity doesn't stay with us after a year? That is exactly the reason why. So every year, the flu strains that are circulating, those variants of flu, can change from one year to the next. So the flu vaccine from the prior season may not work for the upcoming season. So that's why it's important to get your flu vaccine every year to protect you from what we predict will be circulating. And I also wanted to mention that this year, the CDC has advised that adults 65 and older receive a stronger type of flu vaccine than younger adults and children. Um, they found that this stronger type, either was called a high dose or adjuvanted flu vaccine, provides the kind of stronger protection that adults, older adults need. So ask for either a high dose or adjuvanted, which means boosted flu vaccine for older adults. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I got too. I have received everything that I can possibly get here. So. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> it's it's helpful to get verification that I'm on the right track here. And to that point, because I also remember getting a shingles, two shingles vaccines, which I had a few more reactions. So let's talk about shingles. That's a major, major vaccine that older adults need to learn more about. So uh, explain to us, first of all, what, what is shingles and why is the shingles vaccine recommended for older adults? So shingles is really a terrible, painful disease caused by actually the same virus that causes chickenpox. Shingles occurs when the virus that causes chickenpox basically reactivates in your body, meaning someone who had chickenpox when they were younger, the virus can kind of stay dormant and then later reactivate. Um, sometimes it can present as a rash, but not always. And some people may say, well, I never had chickenpox. Really, most of us, over 80% of people were exposed to chickenpox sometime um, in our lives and have that virus. So we are prone to shingles. And so tell us about the, the vaccine. There's a new vaccine. Well, perhaps it's not so new anymore, but I remember there was an older shingles vaccine and then something new came out that's called Shingrix, I believe, and there's two doses. Help us understand what the difference is and why we had to all go back and, and get those those two doses. So Shingrix is the newer vaccine, you're correct, and is recommended um, for people over the age of 50 is two doses. And the older vaccine um, was a live vaccine and actually was found not to work as well um, and provide protection for a long period of time. And so we have this newer one called Shingrix, which is um, not a live vaccine. Um, and it really does help to prevent shingles. And so that is the new recommendation now for people over the age of 50. And also, if a person already has had shingles, 
That's right. So do you do you recommend that they still go and get the two doses? Yes. Yeah, so even if you've already had shingles, um, it's still recommended to get the shingles vaccine. And even if you have the older um, shingles vaccine in the past, um, it's still recommended. Just speak with your healthcare provider because we want to make sure you get the best protection um, for shingles moving forward. And I would say, as I said, I remember getting a reaction. I did have to go to bed for the rest of the evening with the first dose and was a little reluctant to get the second dose, but I knew I had to do so. And interestingly, I did not have as as a severe reaction. So uh, I think by that time, my body had built up the immunity. But um, it's just a warning that depending on the, the vaccine, one can sometimes do, get reactions. So word to the wise there. You mentioned another vaccine related to pneumococcal disease. So again, a little bit of an explanation as to what pneumococcal disease is and why older adults need to get the the vaccine. So pneumococcal disease, this is another potentially scary illness that we do not want to get as older adults. It is caused by bacteria and that can lead to pneumonia or something called sepsis or infection in the bloodstream, um, which can be extremely serious. You could end up in the ICU or God forbid dying from it. Um, there is a um, vaccine. Actually, there are two vaccines. You may remember receiving the older version of the vaccine called a PPSC23, a pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine. Um, there's also a newer version or newer pneumococcal vaccine called either PCV15 or PCV20. So speak with your healthcare provider. It really depends what you had before. Um, that will dictate which version of the vaccine you get now but it is recommended that you get a pneumococcal vaccine and that you're up to date on that to present this, prevent this illness. And is there just one dose that is needed or do you need more than one? It really depends on where you started off from. So again, that would, you know, I hate to give a general statement on that, but it would depend on what you've had received before. Once you get the vaccine, are you set for life or is there a, a time frame in which you need to remember that you're going to have to get it again? <laughs> and again, with this one, it's a little tricky. It really depends on which one you're getting, um, whether you, you need subsequent doses. There's so many variations here. You almost have to keep a list and and, That's uh, right. and dates as to when you get those and share that, uh, that kind of record with your uh, primary care physician. That's what I've done so that you can go over that each time that you, you visit your primary care physician. So you also mentioned tetanus earlier, which we often hear about that, you know, it's supposed to prevent lockjaw or, or whatever. But I know that it's part of a, a broader-based vaccine called Tdap. Is that correct? That is correct. So the Tdap, big T, little d, a, p vaccine, um, actually protects you against three diseases, one of which is tetanus, um, which many of us know um, from younger um, ages, which causes lockjaw and stiffening of the muscles. Um, it also protects against whooping cough or pertussis and diphtheria, which can cause a coating on the back of the throat and cause you to have difficulty breathing. But thanks to vaccines, we really don't see these diseases often, um, at least here in the U.S. However, you're still at risk if you don't keep up with your vaccination every 10 years. So you need a tetanus booster every 10 years, and you also get added protection for whooping cough and diphtheria. So if you are in the garden and you step on a rusty nail, you could get tetanus if you're not up to date. 
Um, whooping cough outbreaks still occur from year to year and can be spread through coughing or sneezing. So again, the importance of staying up to date on that Tdap vaccine. And so Tdap, is that also given to younger children as well as older adults? I mean, I'm thinking about some of these diseases that you're mentioning, like whooping cough is more something you associate with children. That's right. So starting at the age of two months, um, infants and children receive a variation of this vaccine is called DTAP with a big D, DTAP, because they need more protection earlier on. So they have more of the um, diphtheria and pertussis protection um, than, say, an older adult would get in the Tdap vaccine. But yes, they receive the same, very similar vaccine. So it is possible for older adults to get whooping cough and some of these diseases that tend to be associated with children. That's right, because yes, you may have had whooping cough as an infant or a child yourself. Now you're an older adult, that protection may have waned. Um, just like with RSV, flu, whooping cough, during this time of the year, especially, you are again at risk if you don't have your vaccine to protect you from all of these illnesses. Yes, you can get whooping cough again. Again, something that we don't think about. We think, well, we're past that stage. And so older adults need to be mindful of that. I know there are other vaccines that are recommended. I've heard you mention already hepatitis and some other possibilities. Can you tell us more about those? What what are they used or needed for in terms of preventing and how often should they get them and should they be asking their primary care physician about them? What do older adults need to know about these other vaccines? So, yes, if you're traveling, for example, or if you work in a certain industry as an older adult, say you work in a laboratory, there are vaccines that prevent meningococcal disease, which can cause meningitis. Um, there's also the polio vaccine. If you don't remember ever having received a polio vaccine and now you're traveling to an area that may still have polio. So hepatitis B is another one. Um, and that protects against hepatitis B virus, which can be contracted from needle sticks or through sexual activity. There's hepatitis A vaccine. Again, if you are in an area where there are higher rates of hepatitis A, which can cause yelling at the eyes, um, jaundice, vomiting, diarrhea, or if you travel to an area that has higher rates of hepatitis A. So these are all vaccines that you want to talk to your healthcare provider about. And these are all available. I know you've asked about schedules on the CDC website at www.cdc.gov forward slash vaccines. There's a easy to follow vaccine schedule that an older adult may use to kind of determine and then speak with their healthcare provider. Hey, do I need this vaccine? Thank you for mentioning that. And the CDC website, what is the, what is the address there just in case people don't know what that is? Sure. It is cdc.gov, then a forward slash vaccines, V-A-C-C-I-N-E-S. And I believe, if I remember correctly, there are vaccines both for older adults as well as for children and people of all ages. That's all there on that website. Is, is that um, correct? That is correct. So vaccine schedules for all ages and is separated into childhood vaccines and adult vaccines. And they're also scheduled for people who have underlying medical conditions. It will show you on that table. 
hey, you have asthma or lung disease or kidney disease, you really need these vaccines. And I think, too, in terms of where you can get, I, I'm glad that you mentioned about traveling. I think travel clinics often provide and recommend uh, specific vaccines that, depending on where persons are traveling, to get the appropriate vaccine. Uh, is, is that correct? That is correct. So that's where you may be able to get, if your healthcare provider doesn't carry it, um, meningitis vaccine or yellow fever or um, polio vaccine. But several vaccines are either available at your healthcare provider or your local pharmacy. So you want to start there first. Now, one one thing that uh, I also wanted to, to ask you a little bit more about are safety systems. What exactly is that? What what do we need to know about safety systems in terms of all of these vaccines? So one of the things we mentioned earlier was that there are side effects, which are usually mild, that we expect after vaccination, like a sore arm or a fever or a headache. But there are also more rare side effects. Most recently, um, we found out that after using the J&J vaccine, there was an increased risk of a very rare blood clot. And thanks to these safety systems that were in place that monitor people who've been vaccinated, um, you may have seen some called V-safe after COVID vaccination where you get text messages. How are you doing? Um, how are things? Have you had any side effects? There's another one called VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. These are all safety systems that have been in place um, now especially VAERS, for decades um, with the um, CDC and other entities to ensure that vaccines are safe. They monitor for anything unusual, say all of a sudden if they see a spike in certain number of cases of the disease after so many people are vaccinated, um, is quickly investigated. So all of that is what keeps our vaccine um, safe, all the vaccines that we utilize in children and adults. So we want to reassure you that these are things that are continually being monitored, and you can also report a concern if you have a concern after vaccination to VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. Let me take that question one one step further, Dr. Baisalo. Obviously, people think about the CDC or reporting, but could a person, like I, I live in Arlington here, would it be appropriate for me to get in uh, touch with the local area agency on aging? and share that information because I know that they have public health uh, nurses there and they're monitoring what's happening in connection with, with vaccines. Could it start at a local level that people should be aware or should they be contacting their primary care physician if they're getting some kind of a reaction? What, what's the best approach in terms of making sure the right people learn about these side effects in connection with vaccines? So again, remember, the major side effects that we are concerned about, these are rare, so they don't happen often. But if you are concerned about anything that happens after vaccination, it starts at the place where you got vaccinated. So yes, it starts at the local level. You would start at the provider. Um, they can make a report to VAERS. You would give them a call and say, hey, I had a vaccine there a couple of days ago. This is what I'm experiencing. If it's something out of the ordinary, you can make a report. They can make a report. Um, so starting at the healthcare provider level and then moving up to um, a health department level or just reporting directly. So anyone really can make a report to this. That's good to know because obviously in terms of getting the primary care doc, there might be something in connection with another health condition that somebody has. 
Correct. So you want to just see if it's something that was expected as far as a expected side effect from the vaccine. Right, right. That's that's very helpful. Another thing that I, I don't know whether this may be a factor as to why people choose not to get these vaccines or because we know that the COVID vaccines are free, but there might be a cost related to these other vaccines that you've been talking about. Are the cost of most of these vaccines covered by Medicare? Let's start with Medicare because we're assuming that people are over 65, but um, what what should they know? So most vaccines for older adults, yes, are covered by Medicare. Um, and actually, as well as by private insurers with a copay, for example, for some private insurers. Um, and these are available at, again, not only your, what we call your PCP, your primary care provider, but also at local pharmacists, and they can help you determine, is there a cost share component, meaning is there amount you may have to pay out of pocket? And if this is too high, um, that cost, remember, there are public health departments and local health departments where you can avoid some of those costs and get these vaccines um, at no cost as well. So there should not be any reason for anyone to go without vaccine due to the concern for cost. Now, for travel vaccines, some of these may not be covered by insurance, so there may definitely be some out-of-pocket costs associated. And I'm also thinking, because obviously I just said Medicare, which would assume that someone is over 65. So I was wondering if a person isn't 65, are there other insurance plans that cover the costs for these vaccines? So, yes, and that's what I was saying. So other insurance plans may cover the vaccine costs. For example, the Shingrit starting at 50. Um, so, again, it's just finding out from your plan what um, is covered and following through with that and also asking the provider or pharmacy to help you determine if that vaccine is covered. If it's not, then trying to see if your local health department would have a no-cost option for you. Okay. Well, we're getting close to the end of the uh, of the interview. I just wanted to verify um, if you have any special advice about keeping track of all of these vaccines that you've been talking about. Uh, do you have any particular recommendations that you you tell uh, folks uh, that you see as to how best to keep track of 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 these of the vaccines that you get, I, I was wondering if there's any special system or any resource that people can find to do that. So that's a great question. You know, with pediatrics, most pediatricians and parents have their vaccine card or record readily available. Not so much the case with adults. So we really encourage adults to keep a list of their vaccines. Like you mentioned, you keep a list every time you go, whether it's just a note card of the dates, et cetera. Because especially if you move from one provider to another, say you get your COVID vaccine one place and a flu vaccine another place, you want to make sure that everything's in one space. And it's not necessarily a case where all the institutions you go to speak to one another. So it's very important that you keep your own record of vaccines Make sure that your PCP, your primary care provider, knows if you went elsewhere and got a vaccine, like to a CVS or other pharmacy. Let them know, hey, I got my shingles vaccine here, so they can put that into your record. So it's really important, as you mentioned, to keep tabs, um, even a simple list, or ask a family member to help you keep a list of vaccines as you've received them. Okay. And then 
Just a final question. You've been mentioning various resources already. Anything else that you wanted to add about uh, learning more about vaccines for older adults? Yes. And, you know, really, in addition to the resources, just the importance of staying up to date on your vaccines, especially your COVID vaccines. You can find information here at cdc.gov forward slash vaccines. Another great site to find out about what vaccines are needed is the National Foundation of Infectious Diseases. And that is N like Nancy, F like Frank, I like India, D like David, dot org. Another one is vaccineinformation.org. And lastly, vaccinateyourfamily.org. Those are all great um, resources to find out answers to questions about any of the vaccines we've mentioned today. I um, want to encourage you to continue masking, as we talked about, especially when indoors or in less ventilated areas. All of these websites will help you. and. Um, just understand that vaccines are safe. Um, the purpose is to protect you. We encourage you to stay up to date on all of these vaccines. Excellent advice. And I really want to thank Dr. Yabo Baisalo, who is, again, the owner of YB Consultants. And she is obviously a technical consultant on immunizations and vaccines. Thank you so much, Dr. Baisalo, for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, and in case listeners want to learn a little bit more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and the TV show content. And of course, you can listen to these past programs on the Aging Matters podcast, which are on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And to learn more about that company, you can log on to inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today again. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 